Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Gray Man. What do you know about the Sierra program? Reckless mystery man you guys send in when you can't officially send anyone else. The Gray Man. Lloyd. Got an urgent locate and destroy. That could be fun. The man's got some street cred. You hurt? I mean, my ego's a little bruised. I have something they really want. What's your gut? It's gonna be my funeral you're going to next. You wanna make an omelet? You gotta kill some people. You must be Lloyd. What gave it away? The trash dash. It just, it leans Lloyd. Easy. I'm about to put a hit so big on your boy's head that even his most loyal allies won't hesitate to drop a dime. Every grade-A wet team from here to Rachel will be vying for the prestige of killing the infamous Sierra Six. I can kill anybody. Maybe not anybody. Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Gray Man, and the story is as follows. When the CIA's top asset, his identity known to no one, uncovers agency secrets, he triggers a global hunt by assassins set loose by his ex-colleague. The film is starring Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jessica Henwick, Reche Jean Page, Wagner Mora, Julia Butters, Danush, Alfre Woodard, and Billy Bob Thornton. It is written and directed by... Joe Russo, directed by Anthony Russo, and written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And joining us as a guest here, welcome back to the podcast, sir, Aaron White from the Feelin' Film Podcast. Woo, thanks for having me. Excited. It has been a minute since we've had you here, Aaron, and I want to thank you very, very much. We're recording a little earlier than usual to get this one done today, and I know for you being on West Coast Hours, uh, I just really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, I got my coffee. I am got a shower. I'm ready to go. Awesome. Well, this movie here is the most expensive Netflix film ever produced. I suppose that when the Russo brothers approach you and they say they want to make a globetrotting action assassin film... You don't even say how much. You just give them a blank check and let them go off and do whatever they want. I mean, these are the guys that have created four of the most popular Marvel films and have really, in my opinion, kind of redefined the style of the MCU in a lot of ways with their Captain America films and then with Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame. Now, 
sandwiched in between The Gray Man and Endgame is a movie that we don't like to talk about called Cherry. And uh, I, that was a... <laughs> God. Oh, Cherry. Uh, that was the type of movie where the Russo brothers were not, in my opinion, the best fit for that material. But here, this type of movie... And what it is that they're just trying to simply accomplish here, creating a new action franchise along the level of something like Mission Impossible or John Wick, it does feel a bit more suitable for the brothers to tackle. Now, what is the final product like? Well, we'll get into that here. So why don't we uh, first kick it off with our guest, Aaron White. Was the star-studded cast enough for you, Aaron? Were they able to overcome the film's flaws? What did you think of the action? General thoughts here on The Gray Man. Well, I'll tell you first, I was extremely excited going into this. So I had pretty high expectations, which is always a bad thing. I feel like you're just setting yourself up for failure. I didn't get to see this early in a theater here in Seattle. Netflix chose not to screen it for press. And so... I'm just setting my story up here. I ended up buying tickets to an opening night showing with the Q&A, so it was a little bit more expensive. Had to drive an hour and a half to a theater in traffic to get to it and was just really wanting almost perfection, I think. And so I just want to kind of color my expectations as I get into this so that people understand maybe why this was a little worse for me than than normal, but uh I you know, I love this genre and I thought that for sure this cast was going to do it for me. Billy Bob is a, a third cousin to me, so I love seeing him in films. Uh, you know, you've got Ryan Gosling doing a spy thing, Chris Evans flipping the script and going from Russo Brothers hero to Russo's Brothers villain. It, it's everything felt like this movie was set up to be like the next kind of Bond born. Esque Mission Impossible franchise. It didn't work for me. It did not work for me for whatever reason. I don't know if it's just the Russo's sensibilities and the way that they like to keep everything comedic, but I had such a hard time finding anything to care about other than the action set pieces. And frankly, it's disappointing for me to say this, but I think that Gosling sinks this movie completely for me overall. And I love the man. I love his career. I am a La La Land stan till I die. And my prob biggest problem with this movie, guys, was just that I, I felt like he was miscast. I felt like I got uh, the, the sweetness of the La La Land and crazy, stupid love Ryan Gosling with the quietness of the drive Ryan Gosling. But I never could quite believe the character when he was in I'm a super killer mode. I mean, he looks the part, he's got the muscles, he can do the action, but it just didn't work for me. And then likewise with Chris Evans, he is completely just going so hard into his shtick. He said during the Q&A that I was attending that he was intentionally pulling from well over 10 different villains to create this character and that he was literally ripping things off from different villains he watched in movies. And it, I guess on one level, I'm kind of like, oh, I, I guess that's interesting to do for inspiration. On another, I'm like, dude, it kind of showed because for me, he just felt like he was just this algorithm of villains and it was never his own character. I don't think I'll remember his name and 
three months time. And, and the story for me also was just kind of a, a nothing burger. I, I felt like as far as spy stories go, I didn't care a bit what was happening with the random microchip thing or whatever was happening. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it, you know, the more I've thought about it as we got further away from it and seeing it, I, I just, it's, it's so forgettable to me outside of a few big action sequences. I thought Julia Butters was kind of wasted, phenomenal young actress that just does and do much in this either. It had its moments for sure. And, and I'll bring up some of those, but overall, yeah, not a fan. Okay. Starting off with some strong feelings here. Let's slide over to Josh Parham. Josh, what did you think of the gray man? Well, in setting up my own expectations for this movie, they were not particularly high for me because when it comes to the Russo's MCU contributions, like I am not somebody that is in love with those series of films to begin with. So like I could recognize those movies were well made, but they just did not move me as much as other people. And you can hear our review of Cherry, in which I do not have very kind thoughts. Yes, you film. can. <laughs> so, needless to say, was not particularly expecting greatness out of this movie, walking into it, but, you know, always hoping to be surprised. And I gotta say that I think that for a movie this expensive, it should have been either a lot better or a lot worse. And I feel like what we got was just something that was aggressively average. This movie is just is fine. Like, there's nothing about it that I have found to be completely objectionable, but it really lacks a kind of spark and style and energy to it to keep even these set pieces really engaging, which clearly seems like was the focal point of most of the attention for the filmmaking. But I just found the action to be kind of lethargic and not very interesting at the end of the day. And I, I do think that. Ryan Gosling is not for, for me. I don't want to say that he is necessarily miscast in this role, but I think he is poorly directed. I don't think that any of these performances really are guided in a way that makes them fun and and I mean, not nuanced at all, but like have like I said, have a certain kind of fun energy to them. And I find that to be missing from almost everybody. The closest that comes to it is Evans for sure, but I think there's writing issues with that character as well. So at the end of the day, it's not a bad movie. I wouldn't say that. Like, it is competently put together, but it is just so bland to me that I almost find that to be more offensive than if it had been just outright bad. And it just kind of sort of laid on the screen without any kind of real pull for me to get invested in the story and characters. So a very, very average movie to me. So like you, Aaron, I too had a little bit of a journey to see this movie, which was surprising to me because usually with Netflix, they're pretty forthcoming with their titles uh, in terms of advanced screenings. But I was, you know, being given the runaround a little bit. So I was a little annoyed heading into this movie, uh, but I was lucky enough to see it in a theater. I didn't see it on screener. Uh, it's not even available on Netflix as of this recording yet. It will be on Netflix on July 22nd. Right now, it's just playing in limited release. And I've had a lot of people already ask me, oh, is it worth seeing in a theater? And I'm kind of stuck somewhere in the gray. Shit. Um, <laughs> no, no. you. That was great. That was great. Well, so it, it's true, though, because on one hand, there is money on the screen. Like, you can see it in some of these set pieces. And 
it does have, I think, a pretty good pace to it where it does move. I'll give it that. Like, the, the movie does have, like, this aggressive quality about it that does match the two main characters, Gosling and uh, Evans playing uh, Sierra Six and Lloyd Hansen. You know, because both of their characters are so driven towards their goals, well, the movie is as well. It's not so much that the action doesn't deliver. I think it does. I just don't think it exceeds the bar that's been set by the Mission Impossible films and the John Wick films in particular. I think that the action here is actually kind of limited because of the fact that these A-list stars can only do so much. I mean, I'll give Gosling credit where credit's due. The guy got into ridiculous shape for this movie, and he looks like a million bucks. But he can't, I don't think, move and perform these stunts the way that, um, you know, Tom Cruise would be willing to do, for example. So, all that aside, should you see in the theater or should you wait for Netflix? I don't know what to tell you. Make up your own mind. Uh, I'm really stuck in the middle on that one. But as far as the movie itself and what I thought of it, like Josh, I thought it was well done. I mentioned earlier, I think the Russo brothers felt more at home and at ease with a story like this than with something like Cherry. And so the scope and bombastic nature of the filmmaking kind of fit uh, this over-the-top action film that... Uh, I was talking with Joey Magnuson from Awards Radar about this. He says it's a type of movie that would, you know, play on TNT back in the day. And I do agree with that. It's got a lot of, uh, you know, masculinity. And it also has, uh, like I said, that furious pace to it. (sighs) But I think the problem comes down to the screenplay for me. It's not so much the direction of the Russos. It's not the A-list cast here of Hollywood actors. It's the screenplay. I really do feel like this screenplay in particular is so dumbed down for a general audience that it's almost insulting. I, I understand, Josh, and you you said this a second ago, that I wouldn't go in expecting a certain level of nuance to these characters and this story. I get that. But the story was one that I feel like I've seen so many times that it was so predictable. And the only thing that was saving it for me was the performances from some of these actors, like mainly Evans, honestly. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So in starting off with that, I mean, the screenplay for me as just a jumping off point here, you know, you've got lines where targets are being referred to as bad guys. There's just like all this um, generic dial uh, dialogue that yeah. feels to me like it was written by like a some mm-hmm. like a kid yeah. in school i, I agree I, I mean i think it's a very weak screenplay that doesn't give pretty much you know, anything to latch on to from a story perspective and and really and it doesn't allow like the relationships to build in a way that i needed them to i will say the one relationship that was able to kind of give me a little bit of um, a moment 
would be Chris Evans's character. See, not Chris Evans' character. Uh, Ryan Gosling's Sierra Six. I, I don't even want to call him that because it's so <laughs> stupid, guys. Like that's all they call him. The whole movie is Six. It's just I don't know, but. Uh, six his character has some interactions with the character played by julia butters i believe the character's name is claire yeah all of a sudden this movie <laughs> decided oh we're gonna we're gonna go uh man on fire with it, this it does and i but there was a little there was enough there and, and i think that speaks to right that's gosling that's gosling's strength right and he was able to i think inject just enough personality it, it's hard for him because this character like you said it's almost the direction it's the character's not meant to have feelings. The character is meant no. to be this. And, and, and can I just say in regards to that aspect, like you mentioned before, you felt like he was miscast. Yeah. I actually think they deliberately did cast him to provide that drive okay. Blade Runner 2049 performance. We want you to be emotionless. We want you to be tough. We want you to be like, but it's weird though, because then he's cracking jokes. Yes. About the <laughs> shoes and you know, my ego's a little bit bruised and stuff like that. And those were the moments where I felt like they actually didn't work. Contrast against this like stone cold killer who's very effective at his job. I, but otherwise, like I do feel like they cast a certain aspect of Gosling's personality for this role. And in that regard, I actually thought he was a good fit for it. But then the screenplay's at odds, trying to give him these moments of levity uh, with the humor the Julia Butters thing I like because it did flesh out the character and actually gave him um, emotional purpose by the time we got to the third act. But yeah, like this, I, I feel like this screenplay was honestly like just trying to do too much. It's almost, it's almost though as if it's an algorithm that's making these story choices. <laughs> it it feels like it to me. I, I don't know how Josh feels about that, but I, I just, yeah, I, really get the sense that they didn't care hardly at all about the story. And it was just, I mean, it's just like a winter soldier. There's a set piece. The best set piece in the movie to me is like almost like winter soldier, but kind of almost ramped up some. And they do the whole globe trotting. Here's the title of now we were in Bangkok. Now we're in Czechoslovakia. Now we're in Madrid. Now we're in wherever London or whatever. Like they're, they're so, like enamored with their style that I think they know that that's what the audiences are coming for. What they're coming for the large title cards. No, I mean, I'm saying, well, not yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that's a, like a representation of it, but like they're coming for the big action set pieces. Right. And the big bombastic nature of like a globe trotting action spy film versus trying to get the story to be something that is deep and you know very intelligent and emo completely I mean they they attempted emotionally affecting but frankly I would say my personal feeling is that the Russo brothers need Marvel and and I hate to say that but when I look at their filmography now without the help of Disney and and we always like to kind of bag on Disney and Marvel at times because of some of the genericness, but even in the action set pieces here, I just felt personally like with the story and with the, the action, both like they needed, they need oversight. This is where I keep landing with most Netflix movies that have a big budget. The, the directors having full control is not always the best thing. They need someone to come in and say, let's clean this up a little bit. 
and here are some ideas that could help you. That's that's just my personal thought on why it kind of might have gone astray because they do have talent for sure. We've seen it. I would say that they do not necessarily meet, need Marvel themselves, but they need Marvel's second unit because <laughs> the action sequences in this movie, I got to be honest, I found them to be like, they were okay, but they did lack a kind of energy to them that would have made them so much more exciting. And you talk about their sort of centerpiece, I think, which is that whole thing. I can't remember what city they're in. But it's, it's Prague. It's Prague. Prague. The, yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah. again yeah. That is by far <laughs> the best sequence in the entire movie. Easily. It is the one they put the most energy or the most resources towards for sure. But as I was watching it, it just sort of felt very standard in the presentation at the same time like the pacing to it was just like this happens and then this happens it wasn't really a sense of like escalation to it or at least in a way that felt like it was natural for me as an audience member to become invested in these set pieces and i think another thing that really undercuts a lot of the action in this movie is the cgi like there are some sequences where it looks pretty rough to me and even in this moment when it really goes heavy into it, it really undercuts, especially the, you know, the physical stunts that you want to do. And when you cut to just a CGI dummy in this environment, it it doesn't work for me. And I found that to be pretty pervasive throughout a lot of the action scenes in this that I could see people were clearly working on this and they were really talented at it and they assembled this the best they could. I could see all of that, but it was really missing an ingredient to make it actually fun and i found that to be pretty consistent in almost every set piece in this film so the budget for this movie is said to be 200 million dollars and i might have misspoke at the beginning it's one of netflix's most expensive films i don't think it's the most expensive film i I could be wrong about that uh but i think it's very clear that this is not a 200 million dollar budget film where you see the money in the visual effects or the action on screen i think a large chunk of that money went towards the uh salaries of the actors (laughs) yeah i had to and what you're left with then is not a 200 million dollar action film maybe it's a what 130 yeah can i ask you guys do you yeah. think the CGI is better in the plane sequence in Uncharted or in this movie? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. I would I would have to say here, but uh, that I don't know. I, I It's been a while since I've seen Uncharted. I mean, the plane sequence in this movie is not particularly good when they cut to that free falling. Oh, that's the part I'm talking. Yeah, about. I was Oof, like, that, that was terrible. That's, that's really, really bad. <laughs> that is worse than Uncharted. Everything like in the plane and the plane like getting destroyed, Gosling fighting the thugs. That was all well and good. But the minute he fell out of the plane, I completely Oof. agree with you. I was shocked. Like, Why did we do this? This looks so bad. <laughs> why? Oh, my God. Do you think it's possible that this is just one of those cases, too, where, I don't know, visual effects were rushed? Yeah, I think it's possible. Yeah, I do. And I, and I also just think uh, this is where I was. This is kind of the point that I was making more about Marvel was like this sequence particularly reminded me of Marvel wouldn't let it look like that. Much to the chagrin of the visual effects companies that they work with. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But like that was, I think Josh's great point was like about the second unit and the action directing and stuff. And it, I just don't think that, I think they needed oversight there to, you know, look at that more clearly. But it, but it's interesting. It's 
such a you're right it doesn't feel like a 200 million dollar film to me at all it feels like a hundred i mean it's glossy granted that it, it is glossy it, it has some good color and shine to the look of it like it's I don't know. It's really crisp, and I, I think it is a pretty. Well, there's movie. that opening scene with the fireworks, especially. Yeah, yeah, again, but it's like a highlight for the fireworks, not the action. I think. Which, by the way, I like. I I gotta say this. I I think it's so, what. This is how I knew right away in the very beginning of the film that we were off to a very shaky start, and it was probably not going to get any better. That whole sequence where they're fighting amongst the fireworks and they're right next to them as they're going off crystal clear dialogue that they can both understand how that's not even possible like i'm sorry yeah, that, that is ridiculous I mean, that's, those are sort of things that if the movie was more fun i could just sort of roll with i kind of feel like this movie has a has ambitions to kind of harken back to 90s action movies that i felt very much that tone that the movie was going for but and I am somebody that could be very much into those movies. I would love a a throwback to 90s action movies with this film. But it because it lacks so much of its own personality to make it distinct and and to make it seem like you are actually enjoying this ride because it is just so standard. There's nothing to like latch onto and something like that where, yeah, you can hear this crystal clear dialogue amongst these fireworks. It can take you out because you're just not invested in what's actually happening in the movie. No, exactly. And that's part of the problem. I will admit that like by the end, I was more invested. Did I actually want to see a sequel to this? Not necessarily. I didn't feel like they earned the right, but I was a bit more invested towards the end. And I think a large reason for that is I think Chris Evans is having so much fun with this type of character. And I'm not going to sit here and say that he doesn't get these opportunities to ever play these types of characters because, you know, we saw him have fun in Knives Out. And, you know, he's been able to branch out and do other things besides just Marvel uh, playing Captain America. But any time they ever cut to Evans in this movie, you know, I know before Aaron, you said he pulls his performance from a lot of other uh, characters that are similar to this. I get that. I can see that here. But I think it's more just a spectacle of seeing a star of Evans caliber playing a literal mustache twirling villain who is so efficient at his job. Uh, mostly because he has complete and total disregard for the rules surrounding his job that it made him unpredictable, erratic, and uh, just a, I, I just thought a very enjoyably uh, charming psychopath to watch on screen. He's fun in the movie for sure. I did like the energy that he brought to it. He's like really the only performance that I did like in the film, to be honest, but I also felt like the way that character was utilized was kind of weird because he's set up as really like the the sort of opposite of Six, the Gosling character. And and the dynamic between them is what's going to drive the narrative of this thing. But he's almost in like this administrative role for most of it. He's delegating orders, which I found to be weird for a guy who looks like Chris Evans to be that like I he felt like somebody who should have been more involved in like one-on-one -on -one fights with six throughout the movie and so the way that they used him also felt off with how they cast this character too and yes you get more of their interaction towards the end of the movie and it had you know it culminates with a fight between them that 
is also, you know, well done. But I did find that the way that they executed that character within this story didn't really serve the purpose of casting Evans and him giving that performance. I kind of wanted more than what they ended up using him for. Well, I think the problem with that is they wanted an excuse to have Jessica Henwick in the movie more. <laughs> I, 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 cause I, I, from what I understand, her character is one that's not even, uh, prominent this early in the book series. Oh, it's based on books. Didn't know that. Y- yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I, I felt like she was underutilized personally. I mean, I, Especially after just seeing her in, what was it? I don't know the R part of it, but Matrix, whatever, number four. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I thought that she could have been so much bigger, but instead she's sort of sidelined to this... Babysitting role, really. Yeah, and and she's like a CIA agent, but her storyline revolves all around like a kind of a conflict of you know leadership strength with this other cia character that she's with and she doesn't get much action which by the way Roger jean page playing you know carmichael in this i actually really liked uh the tone that he was bringing to that character there's no there's no like layers to him he's very much a two-dimensional villain but i liked the energy that uh jean page was bringing there i i I got to admit, I hate that everything with that character. No, spoiler alert. Sorry if we're ruining this, but like, I hate it how everything about that subplot is left unresolved in this movie. That did frustrate me a lot because this movie does make it very clear at the end. Oh, nope. There's still unfinished business. We're going to have a sequel at some point. That's why they got Jessica Henwick. Yeah. Is because they, I would assume she would have a much bigger role in the sequel. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so too. I think that's definitely a part of it is to have her be a sideline character here and then have her be more prominent probably in the next one, if there is a next one. Uh, Anna de Armas, though, on the other hand, she's very prominent in this movie. I got to admit, once again, like no real depth to that character. So a, a failure on the screenplay once again, but... In terms of uh, all the things that we liked seeing her do in No Time to Die, as far as the physical stunt work goes and the uh, the action, she got more to do here in this movie, and I, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, it's still a pretty small role in the grand scheme of things, but she does definitely bring a screen presence to her that is incredibly effective. There were Even sometimes I was thinking, man, what would this movie be like if she was actually the main character? Because <laughs> she could carry this movie if she wanted to. I, I think she's that strong. And yeah, I don't think that, again, that character is given much to do, but it speaks very highly of her as a performer that she is as captivating as she is given the material. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree too. I, I mean, I liked part of their dynamic, but it, the parts of the dynamic between her and Gosling, who's been more of the movie together, interacting with each other, were very. I did like the Blade Runner moments. Like they were out of place in this movie completely. But I felt like, oh wow, hey, those those are that's Joy and and Kay talking to each other. <laughs> but you know, it, they're different. They have guns now or whatever. Like it was. I liked that, but it was only because I think it was familiar to me. Uh, and I did want to say I actually did enjoy some of Evans's performance and him going all in. I, I I can respect and appreciate his attempt at doing that. I think it felt to me like a guy who wanted so badly to play against type that he just overshot it to the point of kind of 
it crazy. And I, and I would agree with Josh. I think it was Josh that you were saying that he kind of needed more to do, like as far as physicality goes. Like he's this imposing guy and he just stands around giving orders and being angry and, you know, smashing chairs or whatever um, for most of the movie. And I just kind of wanted to see him. I think there's like nine big set pieces or something like that. If I recall, I tried to count and he's in maybe two of them. Do you think that's because they were trying to, you know, withhold um, on having him and Gosling clash until, you know, the climactic scene? I do. Uh, That was another thing I think we should know is the majority outside of the Prague sequence, the middle of the film, the huge bombastic one that will make you go, oh my gosh, it's Winter Soldier all over again, um, is that most of the action in this movie is actually really cool hand fighting and knife fighting. There's very little gunplay in this movie comparatively to what you would expect. I uh, personally, I thought, you know, Six in particular, he makes use of knives and all kinds of random things to stab people more than he does just going around shooting them. And I I really appreciated the mixture of action in the movie. It wasn't just guns and and that made it a lot more dynamic and interesting. Well, I have a question about that. So do you think that the reason why is because a hero might test more poorly with audiences that uses a gun to kill his targets? Um, Or do you think it's a actual storytelling decision that, you know, as you mentioned before, they try to set up Lloyd and Six as opposites in the sense that Six cares about collateral damage, Lloyd does not. And so for Six to avoid collateral damage, he gets up close with his uh, targets and fights them hand to hand versus a stray bullet that could miss and, you know, hurt somebody. I'm wondering, like, which of the two you think it is, because, you know, the John Wick films or even like the Taken movies, they've all shown that, like, you can have your hero use guns to kill enemies and audiences will, you know, not turn on them necessarily. But I, I'm wondering if that was like an algorithm decision or if that was actually something that was rooted in character. I would personally vote character. I think it's intended probably one of the better screenplay decisions that they made or character, you know, development decisions that they made doesn't have anything to do with dialogue, which shows, but I like that about this character, not to give away his backstory, but he is not coming from a criminal background in the way that you might expect. If that makes sense. Like he, was trained up as a an agent in the CIA, but the background of like the dynamic or I guess dichotomy between him and his like you said approach of not collateral damage versus the psychopathic nature of Lloyd are so diverse, and he clearly is not that guy. Like he's in this not because he wants to be in this life. He's in this life because he kind of had to be in this life. He he made a choice to do this to get out of having to do something kind of what he felt would be worse. And so I think that it's very intentional for him. Uh, and also he's just tr- highly trained, I think, mm-hmm. as part of it as well. I mean, the opening sequence shows that. Like if you're going to try and sneak up on somebody or whatever and you've got to go through several guys to get there, it's more effective for you to than to shoot them all and start a big gunfight would be to take people out one v one, you know, slowly via knives, et cetera. And so I think it's kind of 
really rooted in character, honestly. I, I will give them props for that. And that's a showcase for the physical stunt work, which I think people will always sort of respond to a little bit more because it's the actual actors pulling this off that you can see in front of you. And I think that that is another reason why those sequences work a little bit better for me, too. I think the scenes, particularly with Danush, uh, those fight scenes, I mean, that character is like nothing, unfortunately. Yeah. but those sequences, like that hospital fight, and then the one he has with Anna de Armas at that base, though both of them to me were the best action set pieces in the film. And because it is super focused with just a handful of characters one on one, but the the choreography I felt really had more attention paid to it. And because it's actual actors in these sequences, I feel more of the pull to get invested. So. Most of the action didn't really do much for me, honestly, even the big set piece in Prague. But those scenes in particular, I thought were the highlights for me. I've had a lot of uh, Danush's uh, international fan base like asking me, how is he in the movie? How is he in the movie? And uh, I got to echo like kind of what you just said there, Josh. He's not really given much to do, unfortunately, outside of these hand-to-hand fight sequences so i felt kind of bad that i couldn't say more like there is a development with his character which once again highlights how stupid (laughs) incredibly outrageous lloyd is but it it yeah it comes out of nowhere it's not set up properly (laughs) it was it was eye-rollingly silly no that that was bad like but again like the character is Nothing like exactly to him. It's very poorly written, but he is involved in what is to me some of the best action sequences in the film. And so I do want to give that highlight because the hospital fight and the one in the Prague mansion to me were two really, really well done sequences that emphasized actual physicality that was well executed. So I want to give the movie credit for those scenes in particular. And I want to give Gosling credit, too, because we've seen him do fight scenes before, but nothing this intense. And I actually found the character of Six to be very believable in terms of his experience. And when Gosling would ever, you know, get stabbed or something would happen that would wound the character to some degree, uh, I really fully believe that he was such a machine and so good at his job that nearly any situation that he was presented with he could get himself out of somehow by the end it did start to stretch a little bit of believability i was like okay i understand this man is a machine and everything but like dude's gotta die at some point right (laughs) this guy is getting fucked up (laughs) terribly so uh but i always bought gosling in the role from a physicality standpoint yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, he there's one scene where he takes his shirt off in a mirror because, of course, and that's when you're like, what? <laughs> like, you know, you know, the pictures you see on Instagram of of Chris Hemsworth or if, you know, you go watch the newest Thor or whatever and you realize like this guy's like just so built. I mean, he's supposed to be playing Hulk Hogan at some point. That is almost the level of ripped it got I, I was i thought it almost had to be cgi i mean we've all seen crazy stupid love we all know what gosling looks like with his shirt off but this was next right. level this was totally totally next level like he 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 uh what is it in dragon ball z where you transform and now you're a super saiyan like <laughs> yeah. his muscles like grew bigger <laughs> yeah. yeah uh the other thing too i also just wanted to uh point out before we get to final thoughts here I mentioned before that the story has 
these moments where it does slow down a little bit and they focus on characters like uh, Billy Bob Thornton's Fitz or Alfre Woodard has a small section in the movie. Did you guys find that these sections were better because they're like because the action slowed down or did you feel it uh, it dragged the movie down? I did not care for them particularly. And the reason why I didn't is because it became very clear to me that this movie had too many characters and that we as an audience are being asked to track a lot of different threads. And I just did not find that the writing did the work to get me invested in the journeys of these people. So it ended up feeling like most of the time these actors who are extremely talented were kind of just wasted in these roles that again, did not have that much going on with them. And it just felt like we were cutting away from the momentum of the rest of the story to get into these quieter moments to give these actors something to do. But like I said, I just found that there were too many of them to track and it ended up just becoming muddled at the end of the day. I don't disagree with that. Um, I think that a lot of the character beats that Billy Bob Thornton, Alfre Woodard in particular are given in this movie are tropes that we've seen in other spy films before. So there isn't a unique quality that would be worthy of these actors talents. They showed up, they did what they were supposed to do. It's competently done. I don't think anything is inherently like bad necessarily, but for a movie with this price tag and this level of star power to it, um, as You know, Josh, I know you said your expectations were low, but kind of like Aaron, my expectations were higher for what this cast and what all these people could deliver here. And I I really just think at the end of the day, it's the screenplay that ultimately fails all of them. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I actually didn't mind the attempts at slowing things down because I wanted more story. I just they weren't giving it to me in an effective way that that I enjoyed very much. But I, I mean, I liked the idea, for example, of that Alfre Woodward scene in the middle of the movie in Prague, mm-hmm. right? I loved the setup that was happening there and kind of getting us to the point of that big action sequence. But as an interaction with a character, I, I mean, I guess I did like him, honestly, now that I'm, t- I'm talking myself into it. Because for me, again, it did give the character of Six some more emotional development there like there's another person in the world that he cares about and even though i don't particularly love the way the performance plays out and how everything is i don't think it's deep enough but it's it was something (laughs) (laughs) and and i needed i guess i was latching on to any little thing i I thought you know billy bob thornton was pretty wasted as well kind of like a throwaway as far as like just a copy of every other character you've seen like this in other movies but worse or more generic generic is the word i just keep coming back to i think we all talked about this at the very beginning it's just generic it's just plain it's just there's nothing exciting about it and i I almost wanted to ask you guys this too or i will ask you so red notice this came i think it was last year last fall or winter ish it exists unfortunately it does exist but like where where do you compare these two movies they're both kind of spy action comedies one leans more action one means leans more comedy they're both hugely star driven properties that are netflix was hoping to create franchises from they're both super glossy with big budgets and big action 
do you, are you going to remember either one of them six months from now or care about them? I might remember this a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, but but like in a broad general stroke sense, not on a specific level. I really don't remember anything about Red Notice. That was one of my least favorite films of last year. And I did not see Red Notice. <laughs> <laughs> but this one is also very quickly leaving my mind. It does not leave an impression at much at all like i was already forgetting what the actual plot to this movie was to be honest even before we started recording so i mean at the end of the day this movie it's not bad it is competently you know made and put together but there's just nothing about it that rises above the very bare minimum that these stories indulge in and if you're gonna have a pretty bare bones story then you need to infuse the material with a ton of personality then like that's the way that you compensate for that and it can be done and i can have a lot of fun with it but it's like this movie just didn't do that it just took the very bare essentials of what this material material required but then didn't build on to that it just really kept things very flat and and stale for me yeah i think if the character of sierra six had some sort of cathartic emotional moment towards the end of the story had been building up towards then you know they could have got me a little bit more invested here but the bare minimum like you said josh is all that's done and they don't ever exceed that bare minimum so it's definitely a shame and one which i hope that if they have a sequel to this that they'll pay attention a little bit more to character in the screenplay for the next one. And I also hope maybe they just bring on a different batch of writers to do it. Maybe just even one writer, uh, honestly, who could take these characters from this movie and just give them a little bit more of a, just give them a little bit more of a purpose, honestly, because mm-hmm. what it, what we have here, it's very clearly defined what everyone has to do. I mean, these are professional assassins. They have goals. They have uh, targets they have to acquire. So we know what it is that they have to do, and that's very, very clear. But what actually makes these characters tick underneath and why should we care about them as people? is the thing that I think is missing most crucially from this movie. So hello and welcome to novel conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo. And for each episode of novel conversations, I talk to two readers about one book and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters. We tell you what happens to them and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, For final thoughts on The Gray Man, anything that we did not mention that you want to mention or something you want to reiterate, Aaron, we'll pass it over to you first. Well, one little weird, funny, anecdotal kind of Q&A note I wanted to make. Um, So I was watching this Q&A, right, and all of them are on the stage and they all are talking at various points, which is really cool. Julia Butters. This actress, if you've not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, get out and go see it because this is where she came from or where we were introduced to her, I should say. She had a couple minutes of screen time, but she blew it out of the water. She was so smart, intelligent, well-spoken, and looked so 
old in this in this Q and A. I, I think that comes across in uh, her performance in this movie too. Like some yeah. of the decisions that she's making in terms of how to play this character. I was like, wow, is, is a 13-year-old acting circles around Ryan Gosling right now? I think so. <laughs> so, yeah, so she spoke to, like, those – there were actually some improvisational choices she made that they left in the film as far as um, that goes as well. It was, But I turned to my 17-year-old son at the end of the movie and I, or the end of the Q&A. I said, hey, that actress, you know, on the far right, Julia Butters, I was like, how old do you think she is? And he was like – Mm, I don't know, probably 19. <laughs> and, I, and I said, she's 13, right? And and it is mind-blowing to me. And so I just want to put out there, like, if Julia Butters is not on your radar, I think Julia Butters is going to be Jennifer Lawrence-level, like, star when she hits her 20s. I agree. Even Even with, like, such a nothing part in this movie... Like, with very, very little to do. And, and what she is given to do, once again, bare essentials. Mm-hmm. She knocks it out of the park, in my opinion. I really, really do believe that. And she has a certain star quality about her that I can already see. There's a certain magnetism to her choices that makes her... Uh, I Yeah, I think what you just said there, Aaron, about like her being um, that type of uh, breakout star. Like, she's she just needs her Hunger Games. Really, is what it what it comes down mm-hmm. to. Yeah, something that's going to be make her the centerpiece, and she'll get it. I mean, she's thirteen. Mm-hmm. Goodness gracious, and that's it's just amazing to me. But and she's working with Gosling and Evans and pulling all these things, and and Billy Bob Thornton and learning from them. But my final my final thoughts overall would just be that for as negative as I sound on this podcast overall, I tolerated the movie just fine. And like Josh said, it's watchable. Like I watched it. I didn't hate myself for it, and I think expectations really sunk that for me in a way that if this had been a movie that I had not driven an hour and a half to see and not been anticipating all year long and it had just dropped on Netflix and I was one of these people that are listening to this podcast and just was like, oh, I'm just going to fire up Netflix on a Friday night and wow, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans and Anna Armas and oh my gosh, look at the – this is – gorgeous look at this action spy flick i would have had a higher level of enjoyment simply because i wasn't going into this wanting it to be the next big mission impossible series and i would have just taken it in and been like man that was a fun popcorn two hours of entertainment so don't let the negativity listener sway you from checking this out in my opinion i would still recommend people give it a shot even though I don't particularly love it and probably won't watch it again. That's kind of how I want to leave my thoughts on it. Okay. Josh Parham, what about you? Yeah, a few things that I want to mention here at the end. One, we did get another Joe Russo cameo. Oh, God, which, yeah. Oof. Wait, where was he? I missed, I missed it, it. At the very end, he's like debriefing, uh, I think, Henwick's character and Regé Jean Page. Oh, no, that's him? In yeah. The, like, Oh, okay. that government official who was like, you know, glasses you're all be cleared. But yeah, yeah you know, don't come back in this room. Step. I don't want to see you back in this room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hated that okay. so much. Honestly, it felt almost even worse than the endgame cameo because this one, again, kind of indulged in the juvenile tone and it felt even more self 
like congratulatory. I don't know. It just it was a weird tone to come from the director of the movie. If he had made his cameo earlier in the movie instead of like at the end, I probably could have yeah. tolerated it more because I would have maybe have forgotten about it. But having him come in at the very end, it was distracting. It pulled me out of the movie. And I just don't think the guy is a great actor. So <laughs> no. And it felt like it was a, trying to showcase that. And I, I did not particularly care for it. Um, another thing is, I'm sorry that this movie had to use so much drone footage when we had ambulance out <laughs> earlier this year. Like it, it just not the comparison that you want. And like, it was impressive drone footage for sure, but you know, there's no comparison really when you have just seen ambulance the same Whee! year. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it wasn't for trying, but I'm sorry. You came up short to Michael Bay. I don't understand what the fascination is sometimes, though, with it, because I think it's such an unmotivated camera move. And it's like, why not just try to like I. All right, fine. You don't want to rent a helicopter. OK, why don't you just make your drone shot look like a helicopter shot for an establishing shot instead of doing these Dutch angle freaking gliding across oceans at like such a high speed. I don't understand it. I think it looks well, it silly. It can look good, but it just doesn't look good in this movie because the tone and the style independent of those shots just do not match. Like it matches all the way through with something like Ambulance. But can I also point match. this out? Because I think this is very important. Look at the two filmmakers that have prominently used it this year. And to me, that should tell you everything that you need to know about like this new quote unquote trend. The Russo brothers, Michael Bay. Yeah. One uses it effectively and the other one doesn't. You know, it's the way that it is. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to mention is when we did get the information about Six's backstory, I hated it so much. <laughs> yes, me too. Oh, because so dumb. not only, as we have said m multiple times, is it very generic and like, like the backstory that you would imagine this character to have, it also just doesn't even make that much sense because when we meet him in prison, he's already serving many years into a sentence that's going to be up for like the next 30. And the crime that you discover he committed at the age he committed it and under the circumstances he committed it did not make sense to me at all why he would be no. in this situation. So like, I understand they did that to give him this emotional backstory, but it then just did not make any sense with where he was when we met him and how he gets pulled into this larger plot. It, and again, kind of speaks to not only how generic the movie is, but also how immature the writing is and how naive the writing seems to be. Like it almost felt like that would be something a 12 year old would come up with. It was very bizarre. And I hated that reveal so much. I would have preferred if we had nothing, honestly, because it just made no sense when the reveal actually came. I do not disagree. Do not disagree at all. And I think that's part of the reason why also the attempts at just having a little bit of like an emotional crux to this movie like fail. Uh, it's rooted in logic that doesn't make sense. Uh, there was that um, that line where Claire asks Six about his name and he says 007 was taken and my eyes rolled so hard. Oh, I thought of you in that moment. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that was. So I hate it when characters reference, yeah, in in character referencing of the material that they're supposedly riffing on was just it's it's bad. 
I guess for my final thoughts, I, I just have two little things here. Uh, one is the Prague Square sequence uh, where Six is tied up and we're watching the police get involved. I got to say, like, just on that level of scale in terms of just collateral damage, forget about like the set piece with the uh, the vehicles and stuff like that. But just seeing so many innocent people get murdered, <laughs> like it was it was pretty wild to me. And I actually just found that whole sequence to be so invigorating that it. it, it <sighs> Oh, man, I like I'm not getting the final grades at just this very moment, but it, it like single handedly put the film into the positive territory for me. It, it like essentially made the whole film worth more. <laughs> Somebody cut that audio. Matt saying so much collateral damage, so many <laughs> civilians getting killed. It automatically made the film. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, you what? know, no, no, because honestly, I think the thing that why it worked was because it was all about illustrating how reckless Lloyd is in his pursuit of accomplishing his mission and that being rooted in character and contrast against Sierra six. I hate saying the name of that title of that character like that. Was it Sierra six or just six? I, they called him six for sure. I think it, the, like Sierra is the program that he's, it in. is I mean, it's yeah. stupid either way, either way, <laughs> either way. But they do, I think, do a good job of setting up these two characters in this like battle of wills and it culminates in that fight sequence in the, the hedge maze it, it's so so basic and you can see where this story is going like a million miles away it is so predictable and yet these actors are so charismatic that it just it, it did work for me even if like I'm re- like reluctant in saying that it worked for me. Um, my final note before I reveal my grade here is uh, Lloyd twisting the ears of Billy Bob Thornton's character and then just like kind of casually saying, oh, I just came up with that on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I cackled. I laughed out loud. I did I too. Like, I made that one up on the fly. I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. That character was a lunatic and I kind of loved every single moment of it on a sadistic level. <laughs> uh, then he went straight for the fingernails, which ugh, I don't, I, actually, I don't like yeah, that. I had to close my eyes. I, was I like, don't I'm like fingernail this. stuff in movies. <laughs> ugh, I have to look away. <laughs> I do like though that Billy Bob Thornton's character, like he played him as such a tough guy that he like, you know, like he took it. He looked him in the eye while he was screaming. You know, I, I, I really much enjoyed that. All these characters knew the dangers of their job. And we're all mentally prepared for moments like that should they come. Overall, this movie is. It's good. Fine, average. It should have been great. Price tag this high actors this of this caliber. This really should have been great. Uh, But I liked it just enough that I am like just barely on the positive side of things. I'm going with a six out of 10. And even that, like it feels wrong to me, but at the same time, I couldn't deny that when it was all over, I walked out of that movie theater and I wasn't miserable. I didn't feel like I hated the experience I had just had. And maybe seeing it in the theater did help. Maybe. Like I said, I do think there's a lot of people who will be able to watch this casually at home and you the screenplay does not make you work 
Like, you do not have to work hard when you're watching this movie. You can literally just have it casually on in the background while you're doing something else, well, and it'll be fine. Yeah, and, and you just glance up, and it's always an action sequence, right? You just right. look away to fold some laundry for five minutes while they throw in the character development into a kind of a meaningless scene, and then, boom, it's another action set piece you can look at. I mean, it's I think it's literally crafted to be that way. You're, you're so right. So, yeah, six out of ten for me. Josh, what about you? I am at a five out of ten. It it is a movie that I just don't have much strong feeling towards. As I said at the top, it's not terrible, but it just wasn't all that good to me either. I will give the credit that it was never really boring to me. It did keep my attention, but as I said, the bare minimum that it was doing, and for that, I'm I'm pretty much down the middle of not loathing it, but not really liking it a great deal either. Aaron, what about you? I'm right with Josh. I don't do half stars, so I gave it a three of a five on like my letterbox and my rankings. But you know, since I can, I, I would definitely go to a five out of ten for this I, again. But I like. I mean, I did. I don't want to say I liked it. I like I tolerated it. That's my word. I tolerated it and didn't hate it. So I think we're all very much in the same boat and kind of how we felt coming out of this. Yeah. So, yeah. Average but watchable. And then in terms of any kind of like Oscar potential for this movie, you know, I was like hopeful heading into it. Oh, maybe visual effects or sound walking out of it. The answer is no. No, I don't think so. I can't imagine. Although I do think the sound work is pretty good at times in this. It just doesn't warrant an Oscar nomination. No, like, again, like a lot of elements of this movie is competent. It is done by talented people but is it exceptional enough to be recognized i wouldn't say so no no not at all no Mm -mm. well aaron thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today to discuss the gray man i really really appreciate it tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet sure thanks uh it's at aaron l white a-a-r-o-n-e-l-w-h-i-t-e on twitter and everywhere else all over the internet you can find me using that and then at feeling film and feeling film podcast the website's feelingfilm.com it's easy to find you can throw it in google it'll come up first if you use feeling with an apostrophe and we're in all podcast feeds that you can imagine as well thank you guys for having me man it's been a blast i really enjoy getting to come on the show occasionally yeah no i really appreciate having you here and i definitely want to make sure i get a chance to uh bring you back again soon it's been too long it's been too long josh parham where can they find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at jr parham and you can find me at next best picture thank you so much everyone for listening to the next best picture podcast we are proud to be part of the evergreen podcast network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For a $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.